Play podcast from the bathtub? Yeah, yeah, you can. Hey, there have been yeah. lower moments in everyone's life. <laughs> Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightingintheworroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Tuesday, December 23rd, 2014. This is issue number seven. That's right. It's Christmas Eve Eve, and we have a very special present for all of you. We have an extra guest on the Thought Bubble this week. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, a writer for Vajiba.com, Vivian Kane. Hello, Vivian. Hello. Hello. Vivian probably falls right in between my knowledge of comic books and Dave's knowledge of comic books. So she'll be the, like, meat in this uh, comic mm. book sandwich, I guess. Mm. I'm happy with that, that position. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I just want to kick off at the start by saying that uh, we got an email from... Shep from Oklahoma, who tweets at Sooner underscore Shep. Uh, and he asked if we would do a reading list for this podcast. And Dave and I both have Goodreads account. Well, I have a Goodreads account that I never use. I don't know how often Dave uses his. but Also we're... close to never. Yeah. I think I'm still reading S according to the Goodreads account. <laughs> so we're thinking of, of using one of our personal accounts for this. Uh, so, so keep an eye on that. We, we will keep you updated. But I also like that idea. Um of just tracking things we talk about and things that listeners recommend. Uh, so keep keep an eye out for a Thought Bubble Goodreads account that you can follow and, and track along with us. Uh, and so before we get started with uh, the rest of listener feedback, we wanted to do a little mini end of year retrospective segment, which is just to quickly look back at our favorite new comic book that we read this year. Dave, do you want to kick us off? your favorite new new comic book? Sure. Um, I'm going to pick one that's named after me, except instead of uh, a seven replacing the V, it's a four re- replacing the A. So that would be D4VE. <laughs> it is a slacker comedy about a robot having a midlife crisis that uh, about four issues in takes a turn to robots versus aliens but it has a very sharp sense of humor. It comes from Monkey Brain Comics. I believe you can get it digitally, but it's by a guy named Ryan Ferrier, who I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but because I've only read it, because I've only read the things that he wrote, and uh, drawn by this guy named Valentin Ramon, who is the first, this is the first book I've read that he's drawn, and he has a very nice uh, style that um, makes parts of these robots look sheen, and parts of these robots look dirty, and he... You know, it's a very subtle thing to pull off, but this uh, cartoony, uh, a, a cartoony version of this world, I think, wouldn't be as impactful as what he does on the series. So D4VE, look it up. There's five issues out, five to seven issues out, I think. I'm not exactly sure. Nice. Yeah. Viv, what's your answer? Um. Well, it didn't come out this year, but based on your recommendation and Gail Folsom's recommendation, I picked up Saga, and I am loving that. 
Um, I don't read a lot of current stuff, but I did also just pick up the first issue of Bitch Planet, and I'm very excited for that to continue. So I don't know if it will be my favorite, but uh, I, I think it'll be in, in the top of the year since I... Uh, since I haven't really read anything else from this year. So yeah, that, that'll be my favorite this year. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I have two, I'm going to cheat right now and give you two answers. One is a more straightforward comic and that's Rat Queens, which I've talked about. It started in September last year, um, but it really is a, a 2014 comic for me. Um, and that is written by Curtis uh, Waib or Vibe. I'm not sure how you pronounce the last name, and drawn by, now drawn at this point by, oh man, these names are killing me, uh, Stepan Selik, is how I will just pretend <laughs> is pronounced. Uh, Rat Queens, as I think I've mentioned in the past, and if you found this podcast through the Legend of Korra podcast that we do, or if you've ever listened to talk, me talk about television, you know that I'm always looking for a new Buffy. And so this isn't quite Buffy, it's like, for Buffy's. It's it's D&D based. It's all female. Um, it's... it's like four Buffy's, says Joanna <laughs> Robinson from the Thought Bubble. Uh, four, four Buffy's up for this uh, this particular comic book. But yeah, I mean, they, they drink, they have sex, they do drugs, uh, but it's a high fantasy world. You know, there's a mage, there's a paladin, all that sort of thing. So um, I'm not a huge... D&D expert, but I dabbled enough that I get what they're spoofing. And it's a spoof, but also the best kind of spoof that it exists as its own entry into this piece of art. I was obsessed with the Dragonlance books when I was in sixth grade, so this this sort of feels like a spinoff of, of that as well. So Rat Queens would be my sort of trade uh, comic book that I would recommend. And then my cheater answer is also Brian Lee O'Malley's Seconds, uh, which is a, a, more of a graphic novel, I guess. Or I, I don't know where you want to make the distinction, but it came out one nice, thick, hard, hardback. If you're looking for a present for someone, I know it's too late. It's it's Christmas Eve by the time you're hearing this, or maybe even later. But if you're looking for a really, yeah, really... no presents ever again, <laughs> guys. If you're looking for a really, really nice, handsome comic book based gift to give someone a seconds is just a, like a beautiful product. It's really, really great, great story, uh, you know, from the guy who did Scott Pilgrim, but it's even more fantastical. And I really, really loved it. So yeah, my give it, give it, give it to yourself. We all know you got gift cards. Just gift cards. <laughs> that's true. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So yeah, those, those are our recommendations. I think that runs the, the gamut pretty well. Um, you know, robots and aliens to, you know, sexy paladins. So what more could you want from your comic book recommendations? <laughs> and like I said, we'll, we'll get started on that Goodreads account for you guys. Uh, so yeah, so now we're going to dive into our questions. The last Thought Bubble podcast of the year. This is exciting. I say as if we've done more than seven episodes, but. Um, all right. <laughs> so this first question comes from Jamie Smith from LA. Speaking of four Buffies, um, Jamie writes, I was listening to the most recent podcast. Great job, by the way. And I just wanted to comment about the idea of Chloe Bennett being able to carry a show. Granted, she was a shaky as an actress at the beginning of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that might have had a lot more to do with the writers not yet knowing what to do with Sky than Chloe's abilities. 
But if you look back at the casting in all of Whedon's shows, there have been many actors and actresses that didn't seem like much until they were given something really meaty to work with. Example, Alexis Denisoff on Angel, Amy Acker on Angel, and Fran Kranz on Dollhouse. Fran Kranz. I always say his name wrong. Mm -hmm. All were fine actors, but really jumped off the screen when they were given something special to work with. Additionally, Joss has always been great at seeing something in an actor that others haven't, as evidenced with Enver Jokay, Deacon Lockman especially. Uh, I will co-sign that. So I say it's possible that when Chloe was cast as Sky, they didn't know they'd be moving her character into some form of superhero territory eventually and knew that she'd be able to handle it. Or maybe I'm the one person who has always been a Sky fan, so I'm biased. I've just always liked her. Um, so Viv and I, who are crazy Whedon heads, are really have a lot of <laughs> A lot of about, thoughts. A lot of thoughts. <laughs> but I want to kick off with Dave because he, he kind of speaks for me. So I, I will let Dave kick this off. Ooh, I'm the Lorax of Robinsons. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, um, I would just basically say that Sky's getting better, and I think that means that Chloe Bennett as an actress is stepping up, and that's something that I'm very much in favor of. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure this is a diamond in the rough situation where they were like, you, I think it's more like all the characters on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the second season have been better. They have more to do. We know where they're coming from. They've abandoned Sky being a hacker. She's an agent. She has a little bit more agency. It, oh, oh. <laughs> she shouldn't have said those two words together. Um, but like every time I think about this sort of argument, uh, I, I keep getting hooked on like Elijah Dushku in Dollhouse because it seems like for somebody that does such, you know, brilliant casting, he, centered this entire series around Eliza Dushku having range and it seems it seemed obvious to me at the time when I heard about the series and I don't necessarily think my opinion changed at the end but I've never seen anything from Eliza Dushku that made me think she could do that sort of range so the Whedon factory is not infallible in casting its women uh, but I'm still rooting for Sky to be good or better Both. yeah I, I completely agree with you 100% yeah. it, and um yeah, Eliza Dushku is always going to be the, the the weak spot in in the Whedon casting history. And I would even say Sarah Michelle Gellar I agree. was weak. Okay, so Viv, hit me with your thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. I also agree with Jamie, though, that Whedon does cast other actors that I have not, that I love in his stuff, like Alexis Denisov and Amy Acker. I love them so much um, in Whedon material. And then they, you know, fall short in other things. But I, uh, Dave, I agree with you that that doesn't really translate over to his lead female actors, that they would fall short in anything, including Whedon's own material, that Eliza Dushku and Sarah Michelle Gellar, like, I just don't, I just don't love Whedon's choice in lead actresses. And he builds up these worlds and these ensembles that make it okay that I will never like they'll never be so bad that I won't like a Joss Whedon show but they never make it better and You're I never that, clamoring for an Emmy for a, <laughs> a summer this glow. is gonna be <laughs> Chloe Bennett's year at the Emmys like that's not that's not a thing we're ever gonna say um and sometimes and it's not just Whedon specific but sometimes a, yes. a showrunner can slot an actor into something that works for them like I do think that summer glow works fine as River in Firefly because mm -hmm. she's supposed to be damaged. And so her somewhat vacant approach works. But I've never really enjoyed Summer Glow and anything else she's done. Um, but I haven't She was seen, a good Terminator. I haven't seen Terminator. So that's... Yeah. that's oh, yeah. I agree. I, I, uh, 
I won't speak to that. But um, sexy Terminator, sexy, sexy <laughs> Terminator. But yeah, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Eliza Dushku, Summer Glau. These will all always be these weird exceptions to the otherwise great casting that that Joss is capable of. And it is true that like Topher on Dollhouse, um, until he had that psychotic break wasn't the greatest character that ever was or Amy Acker when she got to play I forget the name of the character that wasn't Fred Illyria I think yeah you know when when they give that actor that extra thing to do and so that that's definitely this moment for Chloe Bennett we'll see if she steps into that but that is a possibility that all of a sudden she's a different thing or it's possible that she'll just be Sky feeling really weird and nervous and uh, horrible about these superpowers she's been given We'll have to see. Um, my main problem, though, is that they need to let uh, Agent War Grant, mm. uh, whatever, grow his beard back because that's <laughs> the most important <laughs> character development that happened on Agents of Shield. His acting shield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that beard. <laughs> Beards of Shield. Okay. Um, this next question comes from Neil from Utah. And he says, I was wondering if you could put your thoughts on the pronunciation of the infamous Ra's al Ghul. While it's popular in most of today's movies and TV shows to refer to him as Ra's al Ghul, pronounced Ra's, uh, it seems that the correct pronunciation is exactly Raish or Rosh al Ghul. Most iterations of Batman entertainment that come directly from DC Comics, such as the animated movies, animated series, and the Arkham video games, all use the quote-unquote correct pronunciation. I'm wondering if Dave has any thoughts as to where we got off track and why, and do you ever think they'll get back to pronouncing his name the way that DC Comics believes is correct? Uh, and which of the two pronunciations do you prefer? Uh, I imagine that Joanna, with her love of being a snooty book reader, would gravitate more towards the less possible, is it Rosh or Raish? I'm not sure. Pronunciation. Hell, it's why I prefer it. Uh, and, you know, just in case you're scratching your head right now, that's who Liam Neeson played in the Batman series, and and, and Russell Gould was a big part of the Arrow finale, which is why he's sort of come back, or mid-season finale, which is why he's come back into the conversation here. Um, Dave has a great nerdy <laughs> answer for this. Dave, hit me. Well, I have two nerdy answers. One you've already seen, but my <laughs> jokey lit answer is it's so he could be the person that is framed in the study in Scarlet, the first <laughs> Sherlock Holmes book where that is scrawled across the roll in blood and they don't know what it means. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Way too, no, no, way too I got deep it. to dive for it. everybody. I got it. Okay. So this is I found an explanation I found on a forum uh, trying to research where this sort of went uh, left. Um, and uh, I'm going to read it and link to it in the notes, both because it's more knowledgeable and also because if it's mistaken, I don't want to be held personally accountable. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. I'm Lebanese and I speak Arabic, so perhaps I could clarify this. Resh is actually referring to the Hebrew version of the letter R, Resh, which means head or chief. The Arabic contracts to Resh is Ra, and it too means head. In Arabic, you pronounced Ra, apostrophe S, like Raz. So Raz equals head, Al, or of the, or simply the, and Ghoul, demon Ghoul, so he's the demon's head or the head of the demon. Danny O'Neill, who is um, the person who wrote Batman Beyond and includes a clip where uh, uh, Talia al Ghul pronounces uh, or corrects um, the Batman Beyond kid as saying that uh, it's not Raish, it's Raz, it's Raish. 
And uh, the writer of that apparently researched how to pronounce Raza Ghul, and for whatever reason, he chose Raish the Hebrew rather than Raz the Arabic, and intended giving the character Arabic Hebrew hybrid of name. I'm not sure what the Hebrew word for demon is, so I can't say whether or not you pronounce the Agul part the same way. Really, you could use either version and you'd be correct, but to me personally, this reader, it comes across really awkward for Raz to be pronounced Raish, Raish, blah, 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 blah. So the Arabic pronunciation seems to be the choice of uh, the people and the Christopher Nolan fans, who we all know love to have the last word on everything. <laughs> the people want Roz. <laughs> the people want Roz. Um, yeah, Ra- I mean, Roz makes me think of a character from Frasier. But other than that, uh, since that, that was my first exposure, I do like being a Sunni book reader, but um, I've always said Roz al Ghul, so that's probably what I'll continue to say. Um, Viv, you're behind on Arrow, right? I am behind on Arrow, but... I wanted to say that I was introduced to this character through the 90s animated series in which I believe they said Roz and that series is like my baseline for everything Batman so everything that happened on that show was canon. the correct lore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's canon in my mind. <laughs> um, I wanted to take a left turn really quickly to talk about something that I like to talk about which is race. Uh, not Roz or Rash but race. Uh, which is which is that, you know, Ra's al Ghul is an opportunity to cast someone not Caucasian uh, in a comic book property. And I think people were a little, uh, probably less upset when Liam Neeson was cast, because Liam Neeson is Liam Neeson. But when it came to cast this actor to appear on Arrow, he's a, he's a, he's either Australian or from New Zealand. Oh. And I know that people were upset that they didn't take the opportunity to cast um, someone who was a little, I don't know, whatever, not, not from Australia or New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> this guy is, is swarthy, I would say. Um, <laughs> and he did a good job. Um, I just know that that was a debate and I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts about that, but it sort of comes up to be this whole, when you have the opportunity to cast an actor to play someone called Raz al Ghul and you pick someone white, you know, what does that say? Well, time travel back to before Batman Begins, we didn't know Liam Neeson was Ra's al Ghul. That's true. That might have hand-tipped a little bit. That's true. Not that that's a good reason not to cast uh, to cast Liam Neeson like as a white guy and not somebody else, but I'm just that's why then, we probably didn't get so much. Was Ken Watanabe listed as Ra's al Ghul in the? Because isn't For- he the? I think so. I think he probably was in like okay. early casting things or whatnot, okay. and it just seemed to make sense to everybody. But yeah, that was a that was a head head fake. That's true. That's a good point. But I agree that 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 bothers me a lot because the argument that so often comes up from the other side when you know when people complain about lack of diversity in any kind of film or TV is like, well, we can't just make you know we can't just make characters you know we can't just like introduce you know, diverse characters for no reason. It's a stupid argument, but it's the argument that comes up. But like when you take a character that's written as not being white and then make him white for apparently no reason, it's bothersome. It's troublesome. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It obviously does. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I <laughs> I like really love Dave's linguistic answer that he found for this Ra's al Ghul question. <laughs> yeah. And then I decided to make it about race. But still, <laughs> uh, that's our that's our Ra's al Ghul answer. Um 
All right, this next question comes from Jeff from Maine, and he says, which studio owns the rights to Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman character, and what are the chances that character could appear in future movie or TV project? Love the show, and keep up the good work. Uh, I just want to say really quickly that that I just found out about all the Spider-Women, and Dave was giving me like a mini crash course last week by sending me images of their various costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite image that you sent me was the one Spider-Woman who was dressed just in webbing. Got oh, silk! <laughs> yeah. yeah, the first costume of silk. Yeah, yeah, that was that was good times. All right, Dave, what's your answer here? Silk currently in <laughs> Spider the the issues called Spider Woman one and two. Yeah, Jessica Drew and Silk, and they they don't necessarily get along. Jessica Drew is much cooler and uh, spy spy like now. But you also but told just, me that Gwen Stacy was was a Spider Woman. Is she right? is a Spider Woman. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, in like an and alternate then, timeline. Yeah. And then there's also May Parker, who is Peter Parker's daughter. She's a Spider Woman. She's Spider Girl. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's a lot. Uh, yeah, there's another version of a Spider Girl too. Let's not get into this. Um, Jessica Drew's <laughs> rights are still sort of a mystery, uh, but it's interesting because these Sony hacks. I'm now convinced that like the answer is out there because <laughs> in the third dump of the hacked emails uh, was a bunch of things concerning. Uh, uh, side Spider-Man characters um, and negotiations with Marvel about whether they could use them or whether they would be frozen. Um, so we know I could found one report on these documents and they refer to something called the disputed characters list and uh, lists things like uh, uh, Spider-Ham and the Baghead Spider-Man, which is this Spider-Man who didn't have his uniform, so he got in a Fantastic Four uniform, put a bag over his head, and did his Spider-Manning. Can we go back uh, in time and talk briefly about Spider-Ham? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, yeah. what was that? Spider-Ham is Peter Porker. He <laughs> is a... Uh, he lives in a world that's populated by pigs, but he's not a pig. He's a spider bitten by a pig uh, turned into a pig version of Spider-Man. Wait, even a spider pig? bitten by a pig? Not a uh, yeah. pig bitten by a spider... Is this, well, this was, is an actual book that exists? It, it was written as a joke, uh, and but then, it turned out to be the best thing ever. Well, everybody, lo- everybody like loved yeah. it so much, and now in this huge Spider Verse crossover with all the universes, Spider Ham's playing a pretty significant part. What? He showed up on the um, Disney uh, Ultimate Spider Man cartoon. Uh, I think Loki turned Spider Man into Spider Ham, but he's yeah, he's super popular. I have to go find a copy of this right now. So you guys, you guys can finish this podcast without <laughs> me while I go find Spider Ham and read it. Anyway, spider so pig, spider pig. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. So, um, it's on this disputed character list. Uh, they didn't publish the complete uh, disputed character list, but something like Baghead Spider Man is interesting because he's uh, frozen. So that means that neither company can use it um which doesn't make sense in this because he's wearing a fantastic four uniform and that's fox and that's neither of those companies but it also makes sense because it could be like a potential loophole property where a bag-headed guy with spider power shows up in a marvel movie and sony doesn't want that to happen 
obviously. So if something like that applies to Baghead Spider-Man, I could only imagine that it's got to apply to Jessica Drew, even if they use the argument that she's just as much of an Avenger as she is a Spider-Man character, because really all she has in common is the spider prefix. Uh, so they could do like a Quicksilver Scarlet Witch sharing thing, but it seems like it would be like really bad form to just suddenly have Spider-Woman be a featured character in the MCU while Spider-Man is elsewhere. So I would guess uh, that uh, she's frozen, but I would love for her to come back because Jessica Drew's relationship to the other female superheroes of the Marvel Universe is great and uh, all the screen characters could benefit from it. Yeah. The, well, this is tangential, I think. Um, but I was just reminded that back in like August, there was that news that there was going to be a female-driven Spider-Man movie, and then that news sort of just disappeared. I was wondering if either of you knew anything oh, I'm sure about Dave that. Yeah, that was um, something that Sony pitched to Marvel alongside like the Aunt May um, flashback movie. Right. Um, and they were rejected. Uh, we don't know why they were rejected. I would definitely recommend because that female Spider-Woman movie included Silk, who is a Spider-Character, Spider-Woman introduced this year, and um, a, a Spider-Girl that they didn't really define who that was. But if that's an alternate universe Spider-Girl, I don't know if you know the Sony deal extends to that. So it's very possible that that, film also didn't go because of some of these disputed characters okay yeah because that was big news for like a week and then it just disappeared well yeah they it would have been cool if there would have yeah. been any backing in the movies right. for any of those characters to even exist it would have been weird i think to do like six very cool origin stories for all these different weird spider women right i'd watch that yeah, and I think it was such big news because it was right when we were in the middle of the, like, who's going to be the first studio to have yeah. a female superhero arms race. Not knowing that Sky was there all along. Well, that's not <laughs> But, uh, you know, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel. And yeah, then we forgot spider, about it, the poor Spider-Women. So. Yeah. It'd, spi- it'd be Spider-Punch, the Spider-Sucker Punch movie. You, I don't think you would like none of those characters. I don't want to were... see that. A lot of Spidey upskirts. <laughs> yeah. If you Ooh. want to choose a spider, a spider girl or a spider woman character, pick one because they're, they're all interesting. It's just you, you got to really commit because it's going to be weird to have like any character that's called spider girl because the one that's most uh, I'd readily identified of it is like Peter Parker's daughter. So are we jumping through time or why does and then Silk is a spider woman that was actually bitten on the exact same day as Peter Parker but kept held in a cell uh, by this guy who's looking out for the, all the spider totems around the blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, so they all have really complex origins, and I think it'd be really bad to squish them all together, but I don't think that's going to happen. Excellent. Cool. Um, all right. Now, Spider-Man, by the way, is is Dave's favorite comic book character. That's right. Right, Dave? Yes. We are yes. now about to talk about a property that contains, I think, Viv's favorite comic book character. So we'll see. Uh-huh. We'll see. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. This kind of feels like the newlywed game. Did I yeah. answer that right? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. Let's see what's on my card. Uh, this is <laughs> this is Wallace from Minnesota, and he said, "I really enjoyed X Men: Days of Future Past." 
but the continuity issues between this movie and the others really nags on me. I believe I am far from alone on this. For example, in X3, Xavier dies and Magneto loses his powers, but in Days of Future Path, both events are negated. Wolverine lost his adamantium claws in the, in the Wolverine, but somehow has them again. The writers provided no explanation in the movie. A, sim a few simple comments in the dialogue would have satisfied fans. I know there are end credits scenes from earlier films that might provide some explanation, but most people watching Days of Future Past didn't remember them if they saw them at all. I've read about numerous other smaller discrepancies in the continuity, and I'm willing to forgive a few, but so many? Fans clearly enjoy continuity, like in the Marvel films, so why not give them what they want? I would really like to hear your thoughts on this on this bubble, and if there's any other information you could share to clear things up. Thanks. Uh, I'm just going to jump in really quickly to say two things. First of all, the the I think the end of credit scene that explained partially explained why Xavier was back was at the end of the Wolverine spinoff, and if one of the Wolverine movies, and if it had been at the end of one of the like proper X Men films, it would have been less uh, jarring, I think. But the uh, my perception is that the Wolverine spinoff franchise atrophied a lot of of viewers, uh, despite Hugh Jackman being great. So so it wasn't like the core audience. You know, but but if something happens in a post credit sequence in a Marvel movie, we're expected to remember that in the in the next Marvel film. Like, you're not going to forget about the shawarma because it might be important. Um, so, <laughs> so you know, I don't think end of credit sequences are off the table in terms of you should pay attention to this. This is going to matter. Um, but I think they they definitely bungled it in this scenario. Uh, Dave, do you have a better answer for me? Oh, oh uh, I don't. Um, I'm interested in hearing Viv's answer actually, because I don't. I think my answer has a lot more to do with just being a comics fan. But this mm -hmm. Wallace seems to want some some actual like movie fans to assuage his his fears. Uh, yeah. I. I mean, I can only speak to why I didn't really care about the things that that you know caught him up. Um just like from my own fandom. Oh, and I will say that I'm guessing, Joanna, you were talking about Kitty Pride, who I, is, is that what you were talking about? Is that who you were? I don't know. What's the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if she's my favorite. I think that I, I think that Batman just is so close to my heart that no one will ever take his place as my favorite comic book character. But Kitty Pride is like my, she's my comic doppelganger. So I love her very much. Um, but, and like, I can understand why she wasn't in Days of Future Past because, like, if you have a movie about Hugh Jackman, that's money in the bank. But I know that there are also a lot of us that will never fully forgive the X Men movies for not making that movie about her. Right. Because in the comic books, it's, mm -hmm. it's Kitty Pride who travels back in time rather than Wolverine. Yeah, right. she's the she's there. She's just been reduced. Although she does right. take over what Rogue's role was supposed to be yeah. towards the end of the movie. So good for good for Ellen Page. Yeah, <laughs> they just like did a shuffle with all the roles of the characters in there. Um, and so I like I do have to admit that he raises Wallace raises a lot of really great points. None of which bothered me when I was watching the movie. And I think a big part of that is just that, like the the whole continuity thing. Just that. I, maybe because it did take place in this like future alternate world that we kind of lost track of what the real world was where we were supposed to be following continuity and um Joanna like you said all of those Wolverine spin-off movies 
I think by the time of Days of Future Past came along, a lot of his, a lot of us had just kind of forgotten where we'd been before that. Uh, so I was okay just letting them play with whatever rules they wanted to. I I agree with that too. And um, Dave, what's your answer? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would say welcome to loving the X Men. <laughs> no matter where you encounter the X Men, be it in a '90s cartoon or in a comic book, you're gonna enter in and not have any idea what's going on in the beginning. <laughs> Even if you're in the pilot, which is sort of like what happens with X Men. So I would say welcome to loving the X Men. Uh, but if you want like actual answers, uh, continuity-wise, post-credit scenes for X3 foreshadow that Magneto, Magneto would get his powers back and Xavier stored his consciousness in a coma patient. The post-credit scene for the Wolverine showed Magneto and Xavier coming for Logan in the airport. And then they jumped to the beginning of Days of Future Past with a whole lot of unexplained time. <clears throat> we don't know what point in time Wolverine 3 is going to take place in. It's going to come after X-Men uh, Apocalypse. Uh, I will say that as a comic book reader, um, I, maybe the only thing I really liked about Days of Future Past is how they were willing to treat their own movie continuity like a comic book and just sort of jettison the things they didn't like, uh, leaving the rest to be explained. So things like the fact that, you know, Wolverine at the end of Wolverine 3 loses adamantium claws and he's left without adamantium claws at the end of Days of Future Past is probably not a mistake because they probably have a story coming up where we're going to see Wolverine get his adamantium claws back. Uh, I would guess that'd be X-Men Apocalypse because who wants to see Wolverine fighting with bone claws the whole movie and et cetera. But yeah, this is an X-Men problem. This is like me jumping back in and being like, I want to see what's up with like X-Men. And it's like, why is Jubilee a vampire? <laughs> so, yep. Or why is Jubilee? Just, <laughs> That's a better question. Why? Um, yeah, well, there is a weird, it is a weird thing for, we've talked before in the podcast about the various films preparing movie going audiences to, you know, be okay with comic book scenarios that they wouldn't have been okay with going in cold to Iron Man, but by the time we get to Inhumans, they will be okay with extremes of storytelling. That yeah. being said, I, I don't know that 20th Century Fox did their job making Xavier's death not feel like it was completely meaningless because X3 is completely meaningless. It's terrible, but you're supposed to feel something when Patrick Stewart like dissolves into nothingness and it's Jean Grey who killed him. Like that is supposed to be a very emotional fulcrum of that movie. And for, I know that there's the whole coma patient thing, but, for it all to be wiped away without any real dramatic stakes hinders the story you're trying to tell, I think. I know that in comic books, people die and come back all the time. But I think you just, for a moving-going audience, you just need to make that thread a little bit stronger in order to not undermine um, every every death. Because then why should I care at all? Um you know, Marvel did it, I think, a little bit better with the whole Loki thing because in the most recent Thor film, because it happened within the film. Loki is that kind of character anyway. It just, right, you know, we, we were meant to believe Loki's dead and then he's not dead. And and that works much better for me than, than the tangled mess of of the X-Men franchise. So, does that make na, sense? Na, 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 na. <laughs> Um, all right. Our next question comes from Rebecca from New Jersey. 
this is, I really like this question. I'm excited about it. She said, was watching Guardians of the Galaxy again and was wondering what is the relationship between Asgard and the cosmic world in the comics? In the movies, they said Asgardians are like gods, but that implies they're not actually gods on another plane of existence. So how does that relate to what we see in Guardians? Is the whole galaxy Midgard and Asgard and the other seven realms are separate? Or is Asgard just on the other corner of the universe and they split things up differently, realms instead of quadrants? Sif and Volstagg visit the Collector in Nowhere, which is just far away from everything. And in any case, Quill's dad is supposed to be old and something Nova hasn't seen in ages, which, wild speculation, screams Asgardian to me. I, I suspect the answer is, it's just a show, you should really just relax. Um, I This is a great answer. Uh, <laughs> I really, really love it. And I will tell you this right now, we will never tell someone to just relax. No. It's a show. <laughs> That's the whole point of this show, is to talk about exactly this. Um, Viv, do you have any thoughts on this at all? No, I have absolutely no thoughts of this because I've never thought about it, and I'm so excited to hear Dave's answer. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's about degrees of power in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, like gods is how they describe, you know, Asgardian in, in a world. Like, they don't really, like, you don't have Skarsgård sitting down and telling you the, you know, old Norse tales of the gods. They're like, this guy Thor, who calls himself Thor, is like a god, and he isn't it kind of crazy that he calls himself Thor, which is like this god. Otherwise, it's just sort of an alien planet, um, and how they view the galaxy or the realms at this point, all we really know for sure is that's how the Asgardians view it. Something like how the um, Guardians of the Galaxy denotes planets with those uh, coordinates and whatnot, those are from the Nova Corps. And that's how they sort of understand the universe. Um, it's, I don't think Asgardians are actual gods in terms of levels of power. Like if we're stacking what the most powerful beings are in the Marvel universe, uh, they call their gods celestials. They're the people that invented like the universe and time. And I think there actually is like a character called Eternity that is all of those things embodied. Um, so once you start adding those into the world, the idea of being like godlike powered actually makes them look like stronger aliens. That doesn't mean that because we're building a new story world in the cinematic universe that it can't be multidimensional. Maybe Midgard is everything that we're seeing, uh, but I think that there will probably leave discussions of things like multiple dimensions to you know Doctor Strange that has to have the astral plane and whatnot, or where it's going to make more sense. Um, I think it's terms of delivering blockbusters to people. Uh, they're going to have to eventually get to stuff like the Celestials. They were, e they were Easter egged in Guardians of the Galaxy. The pedestal that he gets the orb from, the base of it, is actually all the Celestials reaching in towards the pedestal. Uh, I think you can only see it in the Art of Guardians of the Galaxy book, but I imagine someone scanned it by now, so you could go check that out. Um, so those are like really big ideas. We know nowhere was like the head of a celestial. Um, and if Asgard is going to play with these huge power players, I imagine the first time we see them cross over would be if, uh, Thanos needs to get his, uh, jewels and things back. Um, what's there? The Tesseract. The Tesseract is there. If Thanos needs to get the Tesseract there, we might see these two things crossing over. But otherwise, I think they're going to stay very separate because it's very confusing uh, as to if things like Thor exist as gods or if they're just an alien species that uh, thinks they're gods. I think it's just a human perspective on an alien race. That makes the most sense to me. Anyway, I want Star-Lord's dad to be Adam Warlock, uh, who is a 
super fun Marvel cosmic figure that you guys can Wikipedia till now because I'm sure we'll talk about him in the future. But uh, he's cocooned at some point in his life uh, to sort of regenerate. He has a ge- uh, power gem on him. And the Adam War- uh, Warlock cocoon has appeared in both the end credit scene of Thor the Dark World and in Guardians of the Galaxy because it's in the Collector's Museum. So Interesting. I hope that's where Peter Quill's dad is because it'd be kind of, it's a nice little ironic moment that he was, you know, a few feet away from his dad. Here's, here's my question. <laughs> I need help clarifying your answer. Yes. Which is that, say you're, you're Nova Corps, you're Glenn Close on a planet in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Right? Is Jotunheim a planet that you are aware of its existence? Or mm. it's in another dimension? Like Jotunheim being the ice, like where the frost giants live in Thor. So that's one planet. And then you've got the Nova Corps, where the Nova Corps uh, people are in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a different planet. Are those planets in different solar systems, in different dimensions, in different. I would have to guess different solar systems, but it has not been established. And I assume it has not been established for a reason. Okay. Um, but uh, that being said, there is a dark elf in the collector's museum, and as guardians go there, so we know that they're possible to travel in between those two things. The dark elf makes me think that these are all individual planets because uh, I don't know, unless there's some sort of weird portal device that we haven't figured out yet that the dark elves initially had. I'm pretty sure they needed the aether ether whatever yeah i'd be okay so. if the dark elves storyline got dropped from marvel entirely um but it probably won't it all it all matters but okay okay sorry to dwell on this <laughs> hemdall has this like gateway that he is in control of right the the bridge the rainbow bridge yeah whatever like a, like a wormhole okay so <laughs> so in theory and that's how you get from asgard to wherever you want to go Yes. And you take it to get to Jotunheim and you take it to get to Midgard, which is Earth, right? Yes. And so in theory, you could take it to go visit where the Nova Corps planet is in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, in, in theory, yes. In theory. But I mean, we don't know necessarily how aware all these elements are of each other. Like at some point in, you know, four years from now, we're going to have to assume that the Inhumans have existed for thousands of years. So it's... Uh, I it's I don't I, it's not that it's not important I just don't think it's really important to have that answer until it a character we care about hinges on it I don't think it's really important until someone asks the question and then I kind of want to know the answer mm-hmm. you know um and well, not, and I'm not saying need, you need, need more input is, <laughs> yeah. the, is the answer well yeah and it's all of a sudden I am interested in this question of relationship uh relativity I, I don't know just well, I mean, wanting to map is, it in my brain. Yeah, something not, I'd never thought of, and now I'm fascinated. Right. By it. Right. There, there's not going to be an answer that you could necessarily find in comics either, because these continuities are always overlapping. And it's like I'm sure there was some point in like the '60s, like they needed Thor to learn a lesson about protesting on campus so he got to somewhere he wasn't supposed to be somehow. I mean, he used to be a guy who picked up a stick and turned into Thor. So it's. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a continuity because the continuity changes when it's important to the character. So, I, like, 
as much as you may want an answer, I'm not sure having an answer is going to even be the answer if we get it. So are you telling me it's just a show and I should really just relax? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I heard. heard. No, (laughs) I I think that headcanon is important, but uh, not to build your house on a headcanon foundation. All right, this is our last question before we move on to a couple other things. This one comes from Curtis, and he said, in episode number five, you talked about new comic book TV series that are going to be coming out in 2015. Uh, and he's referencing when we talked about Supergirl and a number of other series that are coming out. Um, I was surprised you didn't mention Heroes Reborn. That was announced by NBC almost a year ago. I've not been able to find any news on this series later than July 2014. Do you guys have any news on this series and what its status is? I don't know that I've ever heard either of you talk about the old Heroes TV sh- series in any of the other podcasts I listen to. I'd be curious what you guys think of it and how you feel about the new upcoming movie. I, too, feel like the news of this, it was a limited series that they were going to do, um, a Heroes reboot miniseries. Um, and that, that news just sort of evaporated. And I'm not saying it's gone forever, but... You know, it was it came with a big splash and then it sort of evaporated. Um, as for my take on the old heroes, the original hero series that launched on NBC, um, I thought the first season was very strong. I think everyone feels this way. The first season was very strong and then it sort of lost its mojo. I was watching it when I really didn't know much at all about comics as opposed to the very little I know now. Um, but, you know, to meet characters like Siler um, or Hero and like all that sort of stuff like that that was very clever the way they set it up I just don't think that they uh, maintained it very well Um, and I think I I checked out around midway season two um, they brought in Sark from Alias who I quite like but they did not make it work enough for me to stick around so Viv did you watch Heroes at all? I did, and I hated that show so much, which is why I think the Heroes Reborn news did come in and then disappeared because, like, no one, at least no one that I've talked to cares at all because no, yeah, no one liked Heroes by the end, the original. Uh, That came out when I was at, like, peak comics. I got, I got into comics first in college, and so I had only been reading for a, a couple years when Heroes came out, and I was so excited for it, and it let me down so hard. Uh, even from the beginning, I wasn't even into season one. I just, that show, that show disappointed me. I don't want Heroes Reborn to happen, because I don't want to go through that again. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a dark, it's a dark time in my <laughs> it's life. It's so traumatized. Heroes came out. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, here, you're, but... Curtis is is right. I haven't thought about that show, the new show, since it was mentioned, like however many months ago that was. Um, yeah. All right. Dave actually has some more helpful factual information. <laughs> more helpful than I don't want it. No, anymore. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess first talk about heroes. Uh, totally liked it. Not a Gilmore Girls person, so it's the Milo Ventimiglia show of choice. <laughs> Um, but just the first season, though, I think it is, it played a, it, it came out, um, what, when, when was it? 30? 2006. 2006. Okay. So it, it played a, an important part for me in crossing this, uh, Rubicon in the public consciousness to be okay with 
starting superheroes without origin stories because it did this really interesting thing where it mixed origin stories in with flashbacks and in with more soapy elements and basically through the first season told the origin of uh, the two main heroes, Milo and Siler and whatever. Anyway, Save the Cheerleader, Save the World was a a red herring that drug people through the beats of making a whole bunch of different heroes. And then when the subsequent seasons uh, was unable, when it were unable to see new characters in with the same sort of gusto, it really solidified to me that first season of Heroes did that. It did that very visibly and publicly. And now um, I think it's a lot easier to have shorthand origin stories in TV shows, which is might be why I wasn't expecting to Sky to be Quake and for that to be such a long form origin story. But I do think it is something that I wish they would have learned more from Heroes with introducing Deathlock and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1. So I think it's a landmark, uh, you know, television show for superhero things, even though it went way downhill because Tim Craig doesn't know how to plot a series long form. Um, anyway, too bad, though, because he's going to be able to do it again. But luckily, it's a 13-episode miniseries in 2015. Um, you haven't heard that much about it because Heroes and its prequel web series, Heroes right now called Heroes the Digital Series. I really hope it's called something else, Um, which will air on NBC.com. They're all part of NBC's sort of new reorienting strategy, which they do every year because they don't know how to handle anything that they have. Uh, They've killed off Thursday Night Comedy. Blacklist is going to shift around. I'm sure we're going to see Heroes come uh, around the summer to be like, you like, I, I hear America likes superheroes, says NBC. And uh, throws <laughs> we in. We have some a, superheroes. <laughs> yeah, throws in a, a, summer, a summer superhero show that no one's going to like. But I'd say look in the spring for the digital series, uh, unless uh, some really, really horrible things happen with uh, the finale season, NBC. Yeah, I'm expecting it to be as impactful as um, like Extant was this, this summer on CBS, where you had Halle Berry, one of the biggest movie stars in the world. I mean, maybe not anymore, but she was is the lead in a TV show. And it just, you know, I watched some of it. My parents watched it, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who else was watching that show. So if they get really whipped, they might just throw it in sweeps and let it live. Uh, but I, I think it's more more likely to be a summer. We also have superheroes thing. Yeah, that's a good I, point. Sorry. I, I did hear that. I just read that Heroes Reborn is maybe going to use the same characters as Heroes, but recast them. Have you guys heard anything about that? I've heard primarily new characters. Okay. But it's always couched in that word, like primarily or something that's that. um, I I don't know. That seems like a terrible idea. I don't know if I'm just looking at it wrong, but... It depends what character, I guess, you're you're recasting. I mean... Right. Like, Peter Petrelli and Hero, I think, were thrown around as being recast. Oh, that would Very be easy. unfortunate. Because those weren't, like, the most fascinating characters. We just liked the actors. If you didn't watch Gilmore Girls, you liked Peter Petrelli. <laughs> uh, if you did, then you're anti-Milo Ventimiglia in anything. Yeah, forever. He's the, he's the worst. <laughs> uh, Team Dean. All right. So, <laughs> um, 
Well, I don't know what that means. I know. Team, team no one. This is supposed to team be the podcast where I know everything means. <laughs> team Rory and books. Um, <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is another uh, upcoming TV series, which is uh, we, we got our Luke Cage officially cast ah. this week with Mike Coulter, who's an actor from The Good Wife. So all you people who thought you were too young and hip for the good wife feel pretty <laughs> dumb now because I know more about him than you do. You should uh, be hanging out on CBS with Joanna. Yeah, on Sunday nights. <laughs> what? Uh, um, Mike Coulter's great. He's fantastic on The Good Wife. I don't know anything about Luke Cage, but uh, you know I do know that in Mike Coulter... You know a significant amount about Luke Cage, Joanna. <laughs> a significant amount? You know he has unbreakable skin. Yes. You know he gets an unbreakable jacket. Yes. You know, he's sort of derived from the Captain America formula. I didn't. You know, he's dating uh, Jessica Jones. Okay, I didn't know that. Those are, that's all I know. I know those are the important things. I knew three out of four things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're excited about this. Uh, on the podcast that I do about television, the station agents, uh, one of my, our guests last night, Seth, brought up this weird thing in the press releases that Mike Coulter has been cast for the Jessica Jones series. Are they calling it Alias or are they calling it... It's AKA Alias. Okay. For that series, but that they didn't announce him being cast for the Luke Cage series. Which, I don't know if that's accurate or if Seth misread or, or what, but but just he thought it was a weird detail. And maybe it's just because they have a, a, a timeline for the Jessica Jones series and they don't yet for his own standalone series, but... That got Seth's, like, nitpick detail spidey sense tingling. Well, my Mm. thoughts on that, and I I just listened to that podcast uh, maybe an hour ago, so, and I was, like, arguing with Seth in my head, so I'm really glad that you brought that up. (laughs) Um, Because I don't know, but my guess is that what I've heard is they don't, they don't have a showrunner, they don't really have anything for Luke Cage yet, so it, it might just be too early to be releasing any information about casting when they don't have an executive producer, which is, I could be completely wrong about that, but I've, that's my understanding is that they are not that far yet. So if they've cast the role, he's probably going to play the role, not only on one Netflix show, but on both. Well, but it I, might just be too early to release information. I didn't know if there was some stealth comic knowledge where people were like, well, there is another Luke, or, you know, like right. something, <laughs> some little, like, ketchup that could come and surprise us or something. So. Right. I think it's more business related uh-huh. in that Daredevil and AKA Jessica Jones or AKA Alias or whichever one it is. Oh, both, you're right. It's AKA Jessica Jones. Are, are both uh, 2015 shows. Right. So these are the ones we're going to get. And then we'll get our Luke Cage, Iron Fist. But like, they don't. When they cast Luke Cage, we'll probably also figure out who's playing Iron Fist because it's like how we figured out who Rosario Dawson was playing because I think she's going to lead us into Jessica Jones. Right. So they have these linking characters who are sort of passing the baton down. Cool. Um, Do you? Viv is a huge fan of Alias. Yes. Do you have any thoughts about Kristen Ritter or Mike Coulter? I am so excited for Kristen Ritter. Um, I don't know Mike Coulter because I sadly don't watch The Good Wife. How it's weird. Like, I know. It's on my catch-up <laughs> list. It's like top of my catch-up list, but it also has been for a long time while other things get moved above it. Um, but Kristen Ritter, I just think, is perfect. Jessica Jones, 
it, that was, I think, the first comic I ever read was Alias. And so I, I have a soft spot for Jessica Jones and she's just so smart, uh, so smart and snarky and just, yeah, foul mouthed. And I, I think Kristen Ritter has proved, proven that she can do all of that. I think she's great. I'm very excited. Dave, do you have any thoughts on Luke Cage or Mike Coulter other than what we've already covered? Sounds like he's going to do good. <laughs> Haven't seen him do anything. Sounds like he's a guy. Seen like five <laughs> photos of him. He, he looks, looks like he, he looks he like a guy black. that can make out. That with sounds Chris that Ritter. was important. Yes, yeah. they cast a black man to play the black is, man. So there's. That. I feel like that is important, and so good job. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, gonna have to see. All right. Um. All right. So that we don't have an advanced section this week because Dave felt free to talk to you guys all about everything in the regular section. If you need any clarifications on anything, please do send us an email, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. As soon as we are allowed to release uh, this next segment we're about to record, we will release it. So it might come at the tail end of the episode you're currently listening to, or it might be its own little standalone thing. We're going to experiment with form and function. But Vivian, Dave, and I have all seen the Agent of Carter, uh, Agent of Carter is what I keep calling it, Agent Carter, <laughs> Agent Carter pilot that debuts January 6th on ABC. So we are going to talk about that. Uh, but in the meantime, Vivian, where can people find your work on the internet? You can find me every day on pajiba.com, talking about movies and TV and comics whenever I can. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Viv underscore Kane. And Dave? Uh, you could find me at latino-review.com and forbes.com writing about super nerdy stuff and follow me on Twitter at DA7E. Dave is killing it this week on Forbes. Not that he kills it every week on Forbes, but this is a especially good week, I thought. Frobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on vanityfair.com talking about whatever. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Uh, or you can listen to any number of other podcasts I do, including The Station Agents, a TV-centric podcast. Uh, once again, send all your questions to bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Thanks so much. One, two, three, yeah! Well, she sneaks about the world